Well, ingrained in the mind of every human is a desire to know the future and at the same time a fear of the unknown, which is why we live in a world surrounded by fortune tellers, psychics, mediums, and fortune cookies, right? This is the world that we live in. In fact, just in the States each year, the psychic industry is a $2 billion industry. Whether you're looking at your horoscope to see what kind of person you're going to be today, or whether you're just uh, sitting in front of a medium as you hear them talk about someone that has passed on. In, the, in, the, in Europe, it's a $6 billion industry. People have studied and they've actually called the era that we live in the modern day of astrologers that are just trying to essentially tell us what the future is. You see, they tried to actually equate what the industry would bring into the entire world, the amount of money that people spend every single day, every single year on learning the future. And they couldn't even quantify the amount because we have a desire to know the future. See, and what, I, what I'm just blown away by is we're looking at the series in Thriving in Babylon, and I'm sure there was a bit of, God, what's on the other side of this? And maybe you're in a situation right now where you're feeling a bit of, maybe you weren't feeling the Hebrew captivity, right? The Hebrews were there and they were captured by the Babylonian Empire. They're brought into Babylon. They're in captivity. Thousands of them. We get to hear about four main Hebrew characters, Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Uh, but think about the other thousands. Would there have been this, uh, God, why? <laughs> maybe that's the situation you're feeling. Maybe whatever you're facing right now, you're thinking, hey, God, uh, when can I get out of this? And that's a prayer that I pray sometimes. Hey God, um, why, why me and when can I get out of this? Go ahead and make it happen now. But that's not what we see the heart of Christ followers throughout scripture. That's not the heart that we see in the book of Daniel. In fact, we look at modern day missionaries, J. Hudson Taylor, who is a missionary in a very complicated area. He says, I used to pray that God would help me. Then I asked if God, I asked God if I could come and help him. And this is the key. Finally, I ended by asking God to do his own work through me. Imagine if that's how we faced any problem or circumstance or situation that we walked in front of. Whether it was a diagnosis or a loss of a job, a loss of a relationship, or whatever it may be. He said, God, do your own work through me. As we're looking at the life of Daniel, you will never find during any of Daniel's prayers or any of his life, you'll never find him say, God, get me out of this situation. You see him pray, God, what do you want out of me in this situation? God, how can I honor you in this situation? How can I transform lives around me in this situation? God, what do you want me to do with the problem that I'm facing in right now? What is my role in Babylon? What if that was the question we began to ask about our problems and circumstances? God, what's my role? Many of us want to know God's will, but the prerequisite for knowing the will of God is being willing to do the will of God. So what if he says, stay a little longer? And we're like, no, God, pray that your will would change. God, what's my role? With whatever I'm going through right now, 
My prayer is as we look to God's word in the book of Daniel, that he reveal to us our role in Babylon. Remember, Babylon, Babylon is not just an empire, it's also an idea, an ideology. And how it happened was they were first isolated. That's the first step of Babylon, this ideology. You're isolated from what you know, the people that you know, the God that you know, uh, and the people that were worshiping with the same God. You're isolated, and then you're indoctrinated, where they tell you what to think. And then there's identity alteration where they tell you who you are. It's the world that we live in today. And, and God is saying, while you're in Babylon, there's something that we are to do. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me. Daniel chapter 2. It's in the Old Testament. Halfway, when you're about halfway, you get to Psalms or Proverbs. Keep going to the right. Uh, you get to Isaiah. Um, then you're going to eventually get to Ezekiel. Then you'll get to Daniel. That's where we're going to be today. In Daniel chapter 2, we're going to see a problem arise. Many times in our lives, we see a problem arise, and that's where we stop. But you'll see throughout the story that a problem arose, and maybe God has a plan in that problem. So let's read. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. Now, at this time, dreams are like a shadow of the future. That's what everyone thought in the ancient, ancient culture. So he had these dreams, and then he summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in, they stood before the king. He said, I've had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Have you ever had a dream before? Of course. Have you ever had a dream that you're like, there might be some meaning to this? Sometimes we just have dreams that are just like bad pizza or something. I had a dream that Ron Perlman, he's the guy who plays Hellboy, showed up at my house and said, we got to go. And I was like, you're right, we do. And I just hopped in the car. Probably not a dream from God. Uh, Ron Perlman, if you're watching, that'd be awesome if you are. God loves you. Um, <laughs> so he's talking to the astrologers and he says, I want to know what it means. Verse 4, the astrologers answered him, long live the king. May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. Uh, I love, he doesn't tell them the dream yet. And he says, verse 5, the king replied to the astrologers, this is what I've firmly decided. If you don't tell me what my dream was and interpret it, this is his heart. Just know his heart. He's coming from the bottom of his heart here. I'll have you cut into pieces and your house turned into piles of rubble. That's the king that, that they're serving. Now, mind you, um, this king said, you have all the power to interpret everything, so just tell me the dream. I recently heard a story about someone who called a psychic hotline, and they said, hello, who is this? He said, you tell me. That's essentially what's happening here. <laughs> Verse 6, but if you tell me the dream and explain it, you'll receive from me gifts, rewards, great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. So they kind of go back and forth and the astrologer's like, we can't do this. Like, this has not been done before. You, you got to give us at least a little bit of a hint of what your dream was. And then from there we could go on. And so what he does, he puts a decree out uh, to actually have any wise person that can't tell him the dream, have them all killed. Because there's something that God is obviously speaking, and he says, I need to know what this dream means, and like, we can't do it. He says, okay, well then I'll cut you all into pieces, and burn your houses down. Jump down to verse 10. The astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among the humans. So he puts out the decree. People are going around and they're finding any of the wise people in the land, which would have been Daniel, Hananiah, uh, Mishael, and Azariah. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so they're trying to look for all of these people. But in the midst of this problem that's introduced, we have to view the problem 
in such a way that we have a correct view of God. I believe the way in which we view our problems impacts the way in which we view our God. And the way we view our God impacts the way in which we view our problems. And when a problem arises, which if you haven't had one, one may be coming. If a problem arises, the first place that we should be is recognizing that God is always up to something. At all times. Like, he's, he's never shocked. Uh, he, he never has to learn. He never has to be educated. He always knows what's going on, and he's always a part of it. In fact, Isaiah, 60, Isaiah 64, uh, he says, 46, he says, I alone am God. I know the future before it happens. Anything I plan occurs. I do as I wish. What a boss God we serve. That's just awesome. But we have to know that he's up to something. So even in, even in one verse, the first verse that we read, King Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. Those dreams came from God. When you have dreams and visions as we see in scripture, God may be revealing something to you. A dream happens when you're asleep, a vision happens when you're awake. And it literally like you just see almost a screen, like a TV screen. They didn't have TV screens back then. God is just revealing something. And I've learned in my own life, sometimes God will give you a dream or a vision just to shake you up and wake you up. Even this morning, 1.32 this morning, I woke up and I was like, God, I don't want to get up yet. And he said, it's time to pray. And I was like, it's time to sleep. Actually, he got that wrong. Um, he said, Marcus, I need you to wake up. I need you to pray. I need you to pray. And, and I, I believe at this moment, God is revealing a dream to King Nebuchadnezzar. And he's saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, I want to show you who I am. I need you to wake up. And this is going to trouble you until you get it resolved and answered. It's going to be a mystery to you. There's no such thing as a mystery to God. And for them, as I said, it was in their culture, it was a shadow of the future. They knew it was something. And so he calls the magicians and the sorcerers, the people of the time that knew everything. And what would happen is they typically would come and the king would tell them the dream. And they would grab these books that they had and say, oh, you had a cow in the dream? Okay, so the cow means this. Oh, there was fire in the dream. Okay, let me see. F, fire. Okay, fire. Oh, this is what it means here. And they just kind of would put together this, this false reality. And so when he says, I'm not even going to tell you the dream. You need to interpret it for me without knowing the dream. I want you to tell me the dream and the meaning. And they say, no one can do this. No one on earth. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. And I love this last line. They're speaking about the coming Jesus and they don't even realize it. And the gods do not live among the humans. Well, Jesus did. Years and years before Jesus would walk on the earth. Like, all we know is what you're asking, God has to be present for. And when you have something that is being revealed by the divine... The demonic doesn't have access to the divine, so therefore the demonic will not be able to interpret it. And this is where we find ourselves today in a world surrounded by psychics and mediums and fortune tellers. And if you're ever wondering why, why as a church do we like take a stance um, this way and why, why can't we just like allow that stuff to kind of be around and you know, we kind of look at our uh, you know, horoscope and see, what, see who I am that day. Deuteronomy Chapter 18 is a very specific word. Deuteronomy 18, 14. And if you're ever talking to someone uh, that is living this life and they're telling you, oh, it's perfectly fine. Deuteronomy 18, 14 says, other lands believe in sorcerers. You, people of God, are not permitted to do so. You don't even have permission to. Well, I just like it because I don't have permission to. Because God wants to reveal a divine truth to you. 
And we go to a place opposite of the source to get the truth. Doesn't that seem wild? Now, we would have to go to God who knows all things. If, if I have a mystery in my life, why would I go anywhere else but the one who reveals mysteries? If you have a plumbing issue at your house, you don't walk over to your neighbor and say, hey, I know you're a mathematician at SDSU. Um, do you know anything about plumbing? Not at all. Okay, let me tell you what's going on. That's not going to help your situation. So when, when, we, when we allow ourselves to be infiltrated by the psychics and the mediums and the fortune tellers, what we're saying is, God, you are not the source of this situation. God is the only source. In fact, scripture would say it this way. Paul, writing to the uh, church in Colossia, he said, For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers and authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. We have one source. Paul is saying, God is the ruler, the controller, and the sustainer of all things. This is a beautiful word, an attribute of God called his sovereignty. Maybe you've heard the word sovereign, S-O-V-E, reign. Reign literally means, like it means the etymology is, is rulership. His, his rulership. Sov, S-O-V-E, means complete or all. He has all rulership. Sovereignty, as Job would say, means you are God and you do as you please. Job also says you give and you take away. That's the God that we serve. He has the right and the power to do whatever he wants. I know we like to think we do. I can do whatever I want. You can. You can get in some trouble. Because someone can tell you to stop. No one can tell God to stop. God does what he wants, as he pleases, when he pleases, how he pleases. And for some of us, we think, well, that's just, it's kind of scary to think of a God that powerful. Well, what other kind of God would you want to worship? If he's that powerful, well, what if he was evil? <laughs> Thank goodness he's not. And that's where his providence comes in. If, if his sovereignness is one arm, his providence is the other. Providence is the order in which he does whatever he wants to accomplish his good purposes. So in his sovereignty, in the problem that you're facing, he says, oh, I can do whatever I want with this situation. And you're like, God, just get me out of it. And he goes, no, you're telling me what to do. I'm the one who shows you what is on the other side. So I want to reveal something to you. And what I can tell you is the situation you're going through, no matter how painful, no matter how dark, no matter how, how desperate you may feel, God says there is something better on the other side. Because his sovereignty is connected with his providence. And sometimes his sovereignty and his providence, the link between is a person. And that's what we see in this scripture. See, last week, Pastor Brooks talked about Daniel and the fact that he wasn't going to be defiled by Babylon. And he was going to stay true to following God. And God actually gave Daniel something, and, and we may have read the passage and maybe missed it. God gave Daniel something out of his amazing sovereignty and his providential wisdom. To these four young men, he gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. This is a chapter before. In fact, it's most likely years before the dreams. God said, hey, Daniel, I'm going to give you a gift. In the midst of the problem that you're facing, I'm going to give you a gift to be able to interpret dreams and visions of all kinds. And you may not know why I'm giving you this gift. 
And maybe there's a gift even in, in the room today that you have. And you're like, I don't know why God gave this to me. And God said, just get ready for it. Get ready because there's something I want to do with it. So he would tell Daniel, I'm giving you this gift. And I want you to hold on to it. I don't want you to reject it. I want you to receive it. I want you to hold on to it. And there's going to be a moment when King Nebuchadnezzar has dreams and no one else can tell him what it means. But you have access to the divine, Daniel. And so you're going to be able to tell him exactly what that dream means. And thousands and thousands of years from now, there'll be a small church in San Diego called Newbreak that'll talk about it on October 8th. And the fact that you were connected to the divine and able to reveal a mystery will transform the way in which people view problems. See, Daniel knew, whatever the problem God has a plan and I have a purpose. What if that's the way we viewed our problems? No matter how big or how small, whatever the plan, whatever the problem, God has a plan and I have a purpose. So I move from recognition to God that always is always up to something. He is always up to something. Always. And then I move to, okay, now, now I can respond and I can actually prepare to take action. Because God is going to reveal this hidden mystery. But Daniel had to be in the posture of preparedness. He had to stay ready so he didn't have to get ready. He was just ready for whatever was going to be on the other side. And I want to walk through these next couple verses on the screen. Because what happens here is just mind-blowing. Imagine the king sitting on his throne, being fed grapes, being fanned by everyone. He had just said he's going to go kill some people and cut them into pieces. You'll find out all throughout the book of Daniel. That's the way somehow King Nebuchadnezzar decides he wants to end people's lives. Cutting them into pieces. Think he had a little obsession? A little strange. So he just tells, I'm going to cut people into pieces. Go fetch them for me. Because he's a king. Go fetch them and we'll cut them up. So someone goes and knocks on Daniel's door. Says, hey, so the king is looking for all the wise men and he's going to cut them into pieces. So today's your last day. <laughs> Daniel walks into the throne room of the king. And he asks for the very thing that the king chastised the sorcerers for. The sorcerers were said, well, we're just going to need more time. And the king said, you're asking for time to deceive me and to lead me away from what I'm trying to understand. You're only trying to cause more complexity and more issues. And that's the truth of all of that type of business. He says, you don't have any more time. You're trying to waste my time. Daniel walks in. He asks for time. So that he might interpret the dream for him. Imagine what that looked like. I can imagine all the king's servants all around him. Like, this is not a good day. You better stand straight today. He's in one of those moods. Someone might get cut up today. You remember what happened to Jeffrey. He's gone. You know, like, everyone's just on their P's and Q's. Daniel walks in. You can imagine the king, Belteshazzar, and Daniel being like, my name's Daniel. But yeah, um, why are you here? And Daniel says, yeah, king, I heard you had some dreams, and um, I can help you with that. But I'm going to need some time. No one tells the king what to do. I know, but you want your dream, and your mystery revealed, right? Okay, so I'm going to need some time. Well, I didn't even give time to the people that have been with me forever, that have, that have the, the sorcery and the enchanters. I didn't give them time. But Daniel was walking in favor of God. And he says, oh, you're giving me time though. I was talking to someone today who feels that their resume doesn't even line up for the job that they just got. And I told them, I said, oh, that's just favor. Because it doesn't make sense. And God will just open doors that no man can shut. And shut doors that no man can open. So Daniel walks in some confidence, as I like to say, and says, King, I'll help you out. 
I need time. And so the king gives him the request. And then Daniel goes to his house. And Luke is at his house. Explain the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Daniel goes back to his house and his friends are there. And this is one of, one of the moments that I believe God wants us to be, to be really focused on in this passage. Because a crisis occurs and Daniel brings it to his community. For many of us, crises, crises occur and we don't have community. And therefore casualties happen. And so we have this crisis. He goes directly to his friends, his life group, his people. I can imagine when he walked into the room... They said, oh, Daniel, what's going on? He just carried himself differently. Imagine being like, you know, you guys are my closest people. There's thousands of other Hebrews who are experiencing this captivity, but somehow we've been given favor. The king is having this dream, and he said if someone doesn't interpret it for him, that he's going to start killing people. And these friends, I'm talking about the deep, deep relational friends. I'm talking about those people that they know you on your worst day without you even saying a word and they're there for you. The ones who are interested in what you have to say, how you feel, in their response. They ask questions like, what do you need me to do? What do you need? Not, the, not when they say, just let me know if you need something. The ones that say, what do you need? And don't let you say nothing. So in that conversation, they would have responded, what do you need me to do? And Daniel said, I want you to plead for mercy, the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Right? Da Daniel said, we're going to pray about the dream that God would reveal what is not revealed right now. The unsolved mystery, but we're going to talk to the one who is a revealer of my mysteries. And notice he doesn't say, y'all, I, I want us to pray that, that the king would just get moved off of his throne and that we would just make it out alive. Now, if this is me and the king said, hey, if you don't tell me this dream, I'm going to kill you. I'd be like, oh, I just need some more time. I'd walk out and I would just start running. I don't know where, but I'm gone. He gets with his friends. He says, we're going to plead for mercy from the God of heaven regarding this mystery. We're not going to plead for mercy that God would remove us from Babylon. We're going to say, God, what do you want me to do here in Babylon? And that word plead is to request, to call, to petition, to pray. He says, we're going to pray together. And this wouldn't have been uncommon. Daniel's friends would have seen Daniel pray. All throughout the book of Daniel, when you see Daniel praying, you'll see a few words that follow. It says, and Daniel prayed as he always did, or as he often did. This was common for them. They, they must have been like, when Daniel said, I need you to pray, they said, oh, like you do, we got that. We've heard you yelling at 2 o'clock in the morning, Daniel. We will get with you. It shouldn't be strange when people walk into a room like this and see us with our hands lifted and we're shouting, we're clapping because God is up to something. We believe he's up to something. And we're, and we're believing for what he's going to do. It shouldn't be strange when someone goes over to your house and you have worship music on and you have, your eyes are a little red because you've been meeting in the presence of God. It shouldn't be strange. Daniel says, let's do what we know to do. This is something that God is teaching me. If you're like me, when a problem arises, I look for an earthly solution, oftentimes before I ask for heavenly intervention. And God said, Marcus, this problem you can't solve. You need me. And Marcus, you have one source. So I'm sure his friends immediately started to pray because they had seen Daniel model, model it. 
just like the disciples who had seen Jesus walk on water, he heal the sick, raise people from the dead, did not ask him, how do I walk on water? How do I, how do I heal? How do I raise people from the dead? They said, teach us how to pray. Because Jesus, when, when you go off to pray, we can hear you and you're miles away. Jesus, when you go off to pray, you're talking to the God of heaven like you know him intimately. Jesus, when you pray, I've seen you on your knees and your hands lifted and you're weeping. You must have a connection that, that I don't quite have. So teach us how to pray. Daniel, probably the same way as Jesus did, would have just said, pray this way. With expectation. That God will do what he said he's going to do. Pray that God will truly do what he said he will do. At the church in San Bernardino, I had the privilege of being part of the church plant. And we used to sing a song all the time. And it went like this. If he did it before, he can do it again. Same God right now. Same God back then. And I know it's a little gospel for you, right? And you're like, well, I don't know if we know. If he did it before, he can do it again. Same God right now. Same God back then. Let me hear if he did If he did it before, come on. He can do it again, he can do it again. Same God, same God back then, same God back then. If he did it before. Okay, right. But we used to sing that all the time. Give yourselves a hand. Give yourselves a hand. Come on, you got some gospel church this morning. Right. I, I remember singing that song. And, and as a church planter, going through difficult situations. And I remember walking around San Bernardino. If he did it before, he can do it again. Same God right now, same God back then. I look at the situation of San Bernardino and the amount of lives that were being lost every single day because of the gang violence. If he did it before, he can do it again. I think about the sickness of my family. Same God right now, same God back then. Pray with that expectation that God is always up to something, that he, we know he's going to do something. We sing that song, there is nothing that my God can't do. God is up to something, he's doing something, but we need to pray that way with this expectation. But many of us have difficulty with prayer because we have a difficulty with time. We often don't view prayer as worth our time. And many of us stop praying when it gets too difficult or too quiet. I love the acronym PUSH, P-U-S-H. Pray until something happens. What if that's the way we prayed? God, I'm just gonna dig in. We didn't say, all right, let me just set my 15 minutes. Let's be honest, like five minutes. Set my five minutes. And oh, what'd they say? Oh, let me handle this real quick. Oh, already three more minutes. Oh, it's not too bad. Not too bad. Hey, yeah, sorry, I'm praying right now. How you doing? I'm not too busy. Got about a minute left. Okay. God, so you know my needs. And I just pray for my friend. And God, today, I got to deal with that boss. So yeah, it'd be cool if you just helped out. All right, amen. Gosh, man, such a good prayer time, five minutes this morning. What if we prayed with the expectation? So we have the time. We view prayer as not worth our time because we may not see the results. I think of one of my favorite stories. There's this man who has leprosy. His name is Naaman. And he's supposed to go wash seven times in the river. And after the seventh time, he was healed. Imagine if he stopped at six. Imagine if we said, God, I'm just going to pray five minutes today. And he said, man, if you would have gone to seven minutes, I was about to show you something. 
but God, I just, you know, I got a little tired and I like, I like reading my Bible before I go to bed because it puts me to sleep. <laughs> he said, man, if you would have given me the middle of your day, if you would have just sat in silence for five minutes, I didn't even need you to talk today. I just wanted you to listen. But, but you were so eager to tell me what you wanted me to do rather than listen. I believe time impacts how we pray and our view of time. I also think we have a problem with prayer because we have a problem with faith. So we don't believe. I love that the most simple definition of faith is acting like God is telling the truth. We just don't believe God is telling the truth. Like when we read in his word, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Can you imagine if we believed as a people that we serve a God who can heal our land? If you missed Friday, we had a worship night right here with all the campuses, and it was amazing, and it was so cool to just worship together all the campuses, but also we prayed with expectation that God can heal our land. And maybe you saw the news yesterday with what is happening in Israel with Palestine and Hamas, and I understand there's a lot of different thoughts, a lot of conspiracies. At the end of the day, God is for people, and there are innocent lives at risk and innocent lives that have been lost on all sides. That's not the heart of God. So what if we prayed and believed that God can heal our land and he can hear us? I think about our military men and women here, which as civilian, we watch the news and we're like, oh, this, this, and that. And they're thinking, you don't know what this means for my family's future. So before anyone picks a side, what if we agree with God that God would send his son to the earth to die a terrible death, to resurrect on the third day, to prove once and for all that Jesus was God and that he loves all people? What if that's the way we prayed and we believed that God truly could heal our land? So I want to stop and pray for our world. Pray for San Diego. If you, if you watch what's happening in San Diego, it should break your heart. Watch what's happening in California and the nation and the world, it should break our hearts. God is not shocked. He never needs to learn. He never needs to be informed. But what if we invited him in so that he could hear from heaven, forgive us of our sin, and heal our land? Let's pray. God, we come before you. Lord, for so many of us, whether we get the news via email or snail mail or social media or television, God, it's been heavy. Lord, I think we're for honest, it's not just yesterday, it's years of maybe asking God, where are you in Babylon? But Lord, we believe your word, that when we humbly come before you, not choosing a side, but, but bringing you into the problem, into the situations, what if we believed that you would hear us, forgive us, and heal our land? So God, we lift up San Diego, we lift up California, we lift up our nation, we lift up the world that you would begin to heal right now. And Lord, just like Daniel was praying for King Nebuchadnezzar, I can imagine the prayer going on and he, he would begin to say, God, we pray that the king of Babylon would know the king of kings. So God, we declare right now, Lord, we pray that for salvation of all involved. Lord, what would it look like if a terrorist organization met Jesus? put their weapons down and started worshiping you.
God, we pray for all involved. We pray for the families of the innocent lives. Lord, you are for people. So we pray for all involved that you would show up. We pray for a nation that you would show up, for a state that you would show up, for a city and our county that you would show up and heal our land. In your name we pray, amen, amen. What if we believed that God was telling the truth? That he truly could heal our land. I've heard it said that prayer in faith is praying like it is so, even though it doesn't seem so, in order that it might be so because God said so. What if we lived like that? And that's what happened. They're, they're all praying together. They're probably calling on, on heaven, praying and pleading to the God of heaven to reveal the mystery. They're probably praying for King Nebuchadnezzar like we just prayed. Probably praying that God would show up miraculously. And it wasn't five minutes, it wasn't ten minutes, it wasn't fifteen minutes, it wasn't two hours, three hours. But during the night, the mystery was revealed. Uh, Leah, our worship leader, said sometimes even when she's praying at night, just prays into the darkness. Oh, but they kept praying in the darkness. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. How did God know this mystery? Because there's no such thing as a mystery to God. You never have to pray, hey God, don't know if you, you know, didn't know yet, but he's always up to something. There's always our good in the midst of it. And he's saying, I want to reveal something to you. We can trust an unknown future to an all-knowing God. A problem was introduced. A plan was revealed. What is our response? My prayer is to respond like David and praise the God of heaven. I pray we praise when the miraculous happens. He truly has this volcanic eruption of the soul. If you see in Daniel chapter 2 verse 20. He said praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom, that's providence. And power, that's sovereignty, are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. Pause there for a moment. This week, this, this one line, not even a complete verse, has wrecked me. Because in the Hebrew, that word reveals is galah. Galah means to reveal and to uncover. But it has a second meaning as well. It means to lead into exile. What? He reveals the hidden things. Even when you are in a place where you feel like I'm in such difficult seasons, God says, I am the one who reveals and leads. And when you feel like you're in that season of difficulty, God says, I'm right with you. Because I can't lead you if I'm not with you. So let me be with you and reveal the hidden things because I know what lies in the darkness why? The end of 22, light dwells within him. And then verse 23, he says, I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power that only comes from God. That is the source, sovereignty and providence. You've given me wisdom and power that only comes from you. You've made known to me what we asked of you. You've made known to us the dream of the king. So he praises after they pray. God shows up. God reveals this dream to Daniel. And I love what he says to us. You may know to us what we asked of you. I wonder, as they're praying, and God is revealing this to Daniel, I wonder if his friends started to see God doing something. Have you ever been praying, maybe with your life group, or your close friends, or your family? Something happens when one of you starts to just get into that next place. 
He's just like, oh, they got it? I'm in. Let's go. And they just started oppressing even further. And that dream was revealed. So Daniel walks up to the king after time. It, hours. The king eating his grapes. And Daniel says, king, I, I know your dream that you had. The king may be grabbing a spear. Maybe grabbing a sword. Maybe having one of his his servants getting ready to end the life of Daniel. And Daniel tells him the dream. He says, King Nebuchadnezzar, you saw a statue in your dream. And that statue had different elements on it. The head was gold. Uh, the chest and the arms were silver. Uh, the stomach and the waist and thighs were bronze. Um, and then it was iron for the legs. And then when you got down to the feet, it was iron and clay. Daniel would tell him the truth behind this dream. And my prayer is, as I share the revelation with you, that this, this would be even for us today. Daniel says, O king, the gold head is you. And you're such a great king, but your kingdom won't last forever. Another kingdom will come, which is going to be the silver. And that silver kingdom is going to be um, the Medes and the Persians. And that kingdom is going to be strong, even stronger than yours, but it's not going to last. There's going to be another kingdom that's going to be the Greek kingdom. And as they come, they're going to be strong, but that kingdom's not going to last. And then there's going to be the Roman kingdom that's going to come. That's iron. This is when Jesus comes in. During that iron kingdom. And then the feet. This is where we live today, in 2023. Iron and clay. It's the divided countries in Europe. And then Daniel, with all confidence and confidence, says, And then a rock came and destroyed the statue, because all of those kingdoms will be destroyed. That rock came and covered the entire earth, because that rock is God himself. He is the God of heaven, and he rules all things, and his kingdom will never be destroyed. No one can ever tell him when to stop. No one can ever tell him that he has to do something. He is the God, the Savior of the world, and he is coming to fully set himself on the throne of the earth, and no one will ever be able to say, God is not God. That's the God that we serve. So in the midst of the problems that we're facing, there is a rock that is coming to destroy every statue and every kingdom that has tried to rise up and call themselves God. That shouldn't terrify us. That should invigorate us. And when he tells him that dream, remember Daniel didn't say, God, take me out of Babylon. He says, what do you want, to get, what do you want me to get out of Babylon? What do you want me to do while I'm here? That same chapter, the king responds. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God, Yahweh, is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries. For you were able to reveal this mystery. Daniel's faithfulness, Daniel's Godfidence, Daniel's devotion, Daniel's prayer, Daniel's community. Daniel's understanding that God is always up to something transformed the life of an evil king. We'll see that this needs to happen over and over again because he still likes to cut people up. But something happened here. Imagine if we prayed, God, what do you want me to do while I'm in Babylon? And he says, stay a little longer. Show the people around you who I am. 
because this is God's plan for the world. Babylon needs Jesus. San Diego, California, the nation, the world, Israel, Palestine, Sudan, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan need Jesus. What if our role is to simply, even as Pastor Kamar shared, to maybe be the one Bible that they read? God, use us. Let's pray. God, as many of us have experienced troubles and difficulties, right now in your seats, watching online, out on the patio, even just, if you would just put your hands open before God, as if, as if you're going to give him your problem. God, right now we truly just lay our problems at your feet. Whatever it is, no matter how big or how small, we lay it at your feet. And then we take a step back and we look at you. The size of you and the wisdom of you and our problem. Lord, you are not shocked. You are not confused. You don't need to be informed. Lord, but we need to acknowledge that you alone are God. And there is a rock that is coming to establish heaven on earth forever and ever that will never be torn away and taken away. Your kingdom will last forever. So before we search for other kings and other kingdoms, we lay our problems at your feet because you're the king and ruler of it all. So Lord, we love you. We need you. Teach us how to be a light this week and how to transform lives around us. Remind us our role in Babylon is to be the light of the world as you are. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you, church. Give God a hand. We serve a powerful, amazing, wonderful God.